Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of How Betty Davis Saved My Life, Life Lessons from Classic Hollywood. I'm Moya. And I'm Georgia. And we are ready for a funky good time. <laughs> <laughs> and that's probably not the best way to describe today's show, but we're always ready for a funky good time, no matter what the movie is. But um, Georgia... You know, we ain't going to mess around because we try to keep our show to a certain time limit. And this this movie, we I could talk about it for days and days and days. Georgia, what is our movie today? The Pawnbroker, made in 64, but released in 65. Yes, yes. Starring Rod Steiger, Geraldine Fitzgerald, and just another, just a plethora of of wonderful character actors uh, and from movies, people you would know from very, very prominent movies or, or great movies, let me say that, and fabulous TV shows. We have people from Police Woman. We got people from Seinfeld, if you can believe that, in this movie. Um, some movies we've already done on How Betty Davis Saved My Life. And um, just just uh, people from Betty Davis's Heyday, um, on here. So let's just jump right into it. I don't even know where to begin with this movie, Georgia. So I'm going to let you begin. Okay. All right. Well, I just want to say before we really get deep into this, this is going to be one of the most powerful films you'll ever see. Be prepared for an intense experience. This will hurt. It will shake you. And it's not going to be a pleasant ride. But you will be glad you saw it. This is a tour de force. I mean, a masterpiece of a performance by Rod Steiger. Uh, I, in my opinion, he, he should have easily ran away with the Academy Award for Best Actor for his performance. Mm. But surprisingly, it went to Lee Marvin for his performance in Cat Blue. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. Oh, hell, yes. How does that <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to frame this movie a little bit for you. Okay, our last podcast we did, Harold and Maude, you know, I talked about uh, the time that it was made in. And this particular movie was made uh, in the 1960s where things were about, um, you know, revolution and uh, freedom and liberation and so what they did was they made movies that were more bold and honest and it was such a break to have a movie that was done like this uh there was uh they wanted to be hip and bold and racy and it was a period of greater honesty and expression and so this movie is groundbreaking it's a landmark for a number of reasons um first of all it was the first time that they had done a movie from a Holocaust survivor's perspective. Really? Wow. And when you look, when you think of it, this movie was made like maybe like 20 years or less than 20 years away from the actual Holocaust. Mm. And so, and, and another thing about this movie is that this is the movie that uh, reputedly is the one that helped nail 
the lid in the coffin to the Hayes code, mm. the, the production code, because of the use of nudity. They made a special exception yeah. for uh, the nudity in this movie because it was so integral to the story. Yeah. And so eventually what they did was because the exception was made, other movies came along, and then finally they came to the movie rating system mm. that we have right now, you know, with P, P, G, you know, R, and so mm -hmm. on. So this was the movie that did it because wow. up until this movie, there was no female frontal nudity. There wasn't any. Mm -hmm. um, also, this movie, even though the lead character is a person who, who's uh, white, he's Jewish, there were more blacks and Hispanic in key roles up to yes. this point than other movies. Yes, it's, yes we had seen Sidney Poitier in those kinds of roles that were very, you know, dignified. Mm -hmm. But in this movie, you see a lot of people who are black and Hispanic, and they are portrayed as inner city people, but in roles that are not, you know, as I guess you would say sanitized, maybe, I don't know if that's mm -hmm. the right word to use or not. But, but this movie was very controversial on a lot of fronts because uh, Jews were complaining that this movie was anti-Semitic the way he was mm. portrayed. And then black people were um, also not happy with the way that people in New York City, they said, no, you're making them look like they're all like pimps or prostitutes or drug addicts. So this movie generated mm. quite a lot of controversy and a lot of buzz mm -hmm. because of there was, this was a bit, that's why I'm saying this was such a groundbreaking movie in a lot of different areas. Hmm. Wow. Now, yes. one of the things about the casting that I thought was pretty fascinating was the originally uh, thought about people to star in this movie. Uh, it wasn't originally Rod Steiger. Yes, he was one of the um, people that they were considering for the lead, but they were also thinking about Paul Mooney. I think that was the director's oh, really? first choice. Also thinking, yeah. Yeah, they were thinking about um, a number of of other people, including, believe it or not, Groucho Marx. And Groucho Marx mm. petitioned very hard for this role. He was 74 years old, mm. but he may have been a little old, you know, cause, because Rod Steiger, when he did this movie, he was only 39. Believe what? it or not, only... <laughs> oh, yes! my gosh. Yes, he plays the role. He had a whole life. Like, he was. Oh. But, but comedians, I think I, one of the reasons for that is because comedians often have a talent for a very poignant kind of dignity, you know, mm -hmm. and I've seen that in a number of other movies yeah. with some other... Oh, yeah, definitely. With, with comedians who can play like a very serious, very, you yes. know, very yes. role. So, um, yeah, this this movie was had so much going for... Also, the author of this movie, uh, I mean, the author of the story that this movie is based upon, his last name was uh Wallant his name was um Edward Lewis Wallant he died of a heart attack in his 30s and so he never got to see what? his story become a, made into a movie he never oh, got to no. see that wow that's crazy yeah there is so much about this movie that's just really you know, it, it's very surprising. Also, the same year this movie came out was the very same year that The Sound of Music came out. It also deals with uh, Nazis mm -hmm. and, and and uh, you know, people being, you know, taken over, you know, by the Nazis. But 
look at the different treatment. The same right. year the two came out and so tough. But that became 1965, the best movie of the year award went yes. to The Sound of Music. It sure did. And so you can see all this going on. Yeah, it How got overshadowed. So was this movie nominated for Best Picture? No, it wasn't. Okay, and, and The Sound of Music is credited for saving uh, whatever studio or whatever Hollywood, if you will. Uh, because you know it, it was the golden age was long past uh, Hollywood, so the the sound of music, according to most people, his uh, film historians, re reinvigorated Hollywood, if you will. Well, this show, this movie show, wasn't going to do it. Let me just say that. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think back then when this movie was made, they were not aware of the term PTSD right. for post traumatic stress. Uh, dis uh, disorder and so um this man is obviously confronting all these memories that come up every single day and everything he does and it has to survive all this it has effectively shut him down to where yeah. he has he doesn't allow himself any emotions or to feel anything or to feel anything for other people but his portrayal he is he becomes this person so well that you don't even think you're watching somebody acting you think you're watching a documentary yes. it is that stunning of a performance but there's another performance in this movie to me that was really really huge and that is this marvelous black actor called juano hernandez that oh, we yeah. have featured before yeah and he portrays um a character who comes you know into the pawn shop um he's this self-taught uh, black man. He uh, has a very, I, I would characterize him as having kind of a fragile mind and a very frag, fragile dignity. Mm -hmm. And he comes into the pawn shop because he is just so lonely and so hungry to have a conversation yes. with the who was previously a professor. Mm -hmm. And when you see his performances, they will just break your heart. They're so utterly, I mean, they're riveting with the way he portrays this character it is just stunning to me just yeah. like the way rod steiger is but rod steiger as you all know would eventually go on two years later to receive an academy award for best actor in his portrayal of the sheriff in in the heat of the night with mm -hmm. Sidney poitier yeah i was wondering the timeline of that um uh, because i knew it had to be close when he won that uh oscar for that but he was just warming up because to me, because I saw In the Heat of the Night. Maybe we should do In the Heat of the Night, George. Have you seen that one? No, I haven't. I've always <laughs> wanted to see it. Okay, so yeah, we got to totally do that one. Um, and, and we could compare and contrast the, uh, <clears throat> the performances. Well, I won't give my opinion then since you haven't seen it. But <clears throat> Rod Steiger, he's another uh, actor, obviously a method actor, Um who's not talked about when you talked about the great actors of yesteryear, but he definitely should be in that conversation. Cause like when you mentioned Paul Mooney's and a John Garfield's and of that ilk. Um, and so, you know, today we talk about, even though Robin Nero, he's done such trash and later and he, he'll throw a couple of clunkers in and he'll do something really good. Um, but De Niro definitely one of the greatest that Sam Jackson, you know, regardless of his, 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 off-screen stuff but these are just some of the best actors you know um and and so you know without getting into that but yeah Ross Steiger we forget about him 
Because he could do drama. He could do comedy. He was in a lot of weird movies where... <laughs> I forget the name of one of them where he played an undertaker, I think. And it was just a really weird movie. But but he's one of those scene-stealing characters because cause he was surrounded by scene stealers like you said wando hernandez that we featured and breaking point with again john garfield go back and listen to our podcast about that and don't forget you can catch us on facebook um you can comment and tell us what you think about the podcast on there we'll have some stuff on facebook on uh, uh, uh youtube as well so subscribe like and share on those platforms but yeah uh we talked about his heartbreaking his heroic and heartbreaking performance uh, on Breaking Point with John Garfield. So, and then he was in a movie that I cannot remember, Georgia, that he played a judge. And this was like in the late 50s, uh, 60s. And we saw him, Intruder in the Dust. We did that oh, year. Yeah, yeah. So please yes. check out Wano Hernandez's uh, body of work. Nobody talks about him, but I mean, if you if you want to learn to be a serious, a great character actor, look out, look at Wano Hernandez. But um, <clears throat> what else you got for us, Georgia? Oh, my God. Well, you know, one of the things that I forgot to also say was they, besides approaching Paul Muni, they also approached Laurence Olivier, Kirk Douglas, and okay. Burl Ives to play the title role. And yeah. James Mason, mm. actually. So look at all these people who heavy hitters, were heavy hitters. Better. Yeah, all heavy hitters. Oh, yeah. Um, And let's see. Oh, there's so much. Well, you know, one of the things is like, that struck me was the that uh nudity and uh, uh so many things in this movie had much more cinematic cinematic power back then today we're so used to seeing it in movies that it doesn't hit us in quite the same way but then this was really big it was huge and one of the things about this groundbreaking nude scene with Selma Oliver um this is what I found in my research she didn't realize until the filming began that her nude scene would be shot from the front because back then they would show, you know, nude scenes from the back or like shot from over the shoulder. Mm -hmm. And so when she found out that that's what the director intended to do, she, she was actually, you know, upset. She was highly upset. And so when she, but she did agree. And so thereby she made movie history Mm. by doing. Wow. Wow. Yes. A black woman. The black woman yeah. strikes again. History making. <laughs> but you know, I loved her character. I, I just oh, yeah. really in this movie, she was just you couldn't help but like her so much. Well, I know you you're know, wondering and, by now what this movie is about. Uh so Georgia, finish your thought and we'll get into that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um let's see. Uh what else? I got a lot more stuff. Oh my gosh. You know, they had because of the subject matter, they did have difficulty in finding a major U.S. distributor mm-hmm. uh, because of the grim subject matter and, again, because of the of the nudity in the movie. But it was so integral to the movie. But I'm not going to spoil it for you. I'm, I'm going to let you see that so that you, you know, understand it. Um, but uh, also there was the use of slow motion in this movie. It had never been done before, believe it or not. Hmm. So there's... Um, in this movie, you see at the beginning, there's some slow motion. It was a new mm. cinematic invention of mm. the director Sid Met. And then you would later see 
the movie Bonnie and Clyde borrowed it from this movie. They have a oh. slow motion scene. And then after that, it started to become such a cliche mm-hmm. that it ended up being used even in feminine hygiene commercials. <laughs> so, but, but, <laughs> I'm trying to say, what commercials were those? Please don't, please hurry up and fast forward that action. Ugh, give me a break. I know. But, but try to remember how new this this was with a stylized expression that he was trying to come up with, you know, not just the camera angles, not just the gritty right. black and white way he showed New York. I mean, it was amazing because everything was so realistic. You see the grit and the grime, you see everything. This cinematography was very uh, groundbreaking at the time. So just kind of keep that in mind. Also, when you see it, um, one of the other things about this movie that struck me is, I think this is one of the first movies where you see that there are homosexuals portrayed in the movie too. Yeah. uh, I was wondering if you picked up on that too. I did. And you know, what I thought was kind of interesting was the figure in this movie who is, who's homosexual is you see him dressed. He's a black man. He's dressed in a white suit, but then you see the other man. He's a white man. Very, very, very white dressed in a black suit. I thought, it's almost like they're like photographic the negatives, you know, like when you see a picture and you look at the negative oh, of it. Oh wow! I thought, oh, you know, I just, you know, I really picked up like, look at this, like how like the the contrast. But I thought, yeah, th- this is yeah, this is homosexual. But they, th- that's another reason why this movie is very groundbreaking. Well, that's because, New York. I mean, you can't have you can't address New yeah. York without that, without some wow element or some freak element or some street i mean that's people when you talk about new york you have to show all of it and so you have and and kudos to them for going there and not punking out because you know like going forward with um another movie we did about new york was um sweet charity that was later on so you had to you know, by then, you know, oh, the genie was out the bottle. Like, you have to show every element of New York. And, and New York, as we know it, love it and hate it, you know. But that is New York. Yes, it is. You, you have to. It, but this was it filmed in um, East Harlem, which I think is also called Spanish Harlem. Right, I'm, right. <clears throat> I'm rather, um, but, you know, I think, yeah, it, like I said, it was it was ground. Breaking in its portrayal of a very ultralistic view of urban life, and um, but you know there was like a quote that he has <clears throat> in this movie that really struck me because uh, in a job that I previously had, you know, I worked for a police department, and you know, I also you know she was the sheriff, some- y'all. She's not gonna say she was the sheriff. Rookie tooting, pistol packing, mama. But, um, you know, one of the quotes that, that the character says is there, he's speaking to Geraldine Fitzgerald in, in a scene. And he says, you know, there's a world that's different than yours, much different than the people in it are of another species. Yes. And that was to me kind of like a major, you know, speech. And then there's another thing that really got to me because, you know, the stereotypes that people have about Jews and he, you know, the the guy is saying, well, like, you know, I, there's a scene and he describes the way that people have viewed Jews mm-hmm. in, 
and how you know, and how they view themselves. But but he turns it on its head, where you see this is the way you look at me. This is the racial stereotype you have of me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also a very key scene. There's just so many yeah. very profound scenes in this movie. Yes. I think if people knew that if this movie was more well-known <clears throat> and critiqued, I believe it would heal racial relations amongst all the ethnicities, <laughs> especially nowadays because, Lord, there's so much controversy with this community and that community. Um, but all kidding aside, I really do believe that, Georgia, because it was so honest. And you know what? I kept harking. Well, let, let me just say what this movie is about, Daggett. A gentleman, Ross Steigers, Saul Nazerman, is a victim of the uh, Nazi Holocaust from World War II. And he survives, quote unquote, and he's in New York now, uh, lives on Long Island with his surviving family, extended family, I would say. Um, and But he has a pawn shop in Spanish Harlem. And this gentleman, like Georgia said, people didn't talk about mental health and PTSD. Like that was, you know, unheard. All you had was like the, you know, psychiatry was for the elite, you know, and that was still kind of, you know, um, not a hundred percent trustworthy, but so it's light years from what we have now. And by him not properly dealing with, not even address, like he was, you know, who read his pedigree, Tessie's father, Tessie is his girlfriend. They were also Jewish. And um, Mr. Mr. Mendel, uh, his, his her, her father, he would come and visit the girlfriend. And just listen to what Mr. Mendel says. He said, he said something that is very prominent. And I said, you're the walking dead. And he did not appreciate. And he read him for what he was. He was like, how you are, you don't really care anything about my daughter. You just come here. And I'm paraphrasing. And he was almost calling him a parasite. Now, these all these people are Jewish, so don't talk about me calling nobody no dang on parasite, you know, but I'm paraphrasing how he didn't care about his daughter and just was using her. And Georgia, you know, to on one hand, I felt great sympathy and empathy for Saul Nazarman. And on the other hand, I couldn't stand him. What about you? I felt the same way, Moya. I thought, God, he's so unlikable. He's just so mean to everybody. Right. But then at this time, I felt compassion because I thought, my God, what's made him into that? You know, one of the life lessons from this movie to me is it made me think whenever you see a sour, bitter old person, stop and think for a minute what they may have been yes. that made them that way. Yes. Yes. And we just did Harold and Maude. Go check that out. That was the uh, our podcast before this one. And compare and contrast how Maude handled being a Holocaust survivor and how this man did. They are polar opposites, total extremes. And you tell me who handled it better. Oh, Moya, that is such an excellent read of that, a viewpoint and contrast. Oh, my gosh, it didn't occur to me. Yes. What a difference. And we didn't do this on purpose. We had, you know, we have a list of movies. We, you know, we have a long library of stuff we need to go through. And we just just said The Pawn Broker. And I suggested The Pawn Broker because I had seen it years ago. I mean, 20 years ago. And so it was like seeing it all over again. And I had totally forgot he was a Holocaust victim and survivor. 
But then I was like, oh my gosh, you know, then I thought about the Harold and Maul thing. But yeah, check it out and see how they handle it. Then, George, I was thinking about how would we handle being traumatized and your life just turned upside down, having people, having a government destroy your, your livelihood, roll through your family, just destroy your family, exploit you, have a government set. And I was like, you know, how will we survive that? What can we liken to? And very recent, has there anything happened to us recently where we had the government dictate how we move and turn us, uh, have this set of people be this type of people? And if you don't do this, you're that type of person. And if you do this, you're that type. I, was try I could not think for the life of me <laughs> that we have, what machine has come against the, the, some, the humanity wherever it was just a humanity and just steamroll you and i was like oh yeah <laughs> what has happened in recent history that that turned people your friends and neighbors against you and uh because i kept saying though those people you know and I, I gosh they, anybody who survived or was alive during world war ii they gotta be in their hundreds um I'm like, how did they move on? And like we could see, you saw what Maud did and Harold and Maud, and we see what this guy did. Okay, and like I said, you be the judge of who was successful, um, who had the better tactic. But I'm like, how we... And so then I thought about my trauma. No matter what period of time is, you know, I, from Hurricane Katrina. Now that was, a, you know, a natural uh, type situation but when you have your life turned upside down you don't know where your family is uh you have to move to a whole from louisiana to texas is like moving from two different planets okay just to be honest with you but then now recently now everybody the whole world went through traumatic experiences you know and and was it on a scale of i'm not trying to compare you know the scale of the holocaust i'm not i'm not doing that but trauma is trauma is trauma because when it's happening to you, it's the worst thing in the world. I might look at it and say, oh, you know, you, you, that person will be... But that's, you know, you don't dismiss people's trauma. And I like what you said about what has happened. You know, and I work in a field with, with uh, traumatic people. Uh, volunteer, I should say, with with people who go through a lot of trauma. And, I, and it, girl, it humbles you because you, you cannot... Once you learn about the power of trauma and not dealing with it, Georgia, you're so right. You cannot look at people the same. Yeah, you know, and I think there is a little bit of a story under here that is underlying all this, but this happened, all of this, the root of it was a form of government that got totally out of control Yep, and ended up, yeah, so I just kind of keep that in the back of my mind, you know, as I look at this movie, you know, what was the root, what caused all this horror that this poor that all those poor people endured and and caused the whole world to go to war. So, yeah, I look at it that way. But I do want to say, before I forget, that if you are interested in acting, this movie, yes. I think, should be part of acting school to see this performance <clears throat> because he does... It's a clinic. He goes from, it is a clinic. He goes from fear to compassion to anger to rage to guilt so quickly. He does it seamlessly. Yes. This is the most amazing performance. You have to see it. The man was just utterly, he he inhabited the role. I yes. Mean, physically, 
because he even moved like a person, like maybe in his sixties, oh, yeah. and with the weight of the world, what he yes. endured, it's his expressions, it's everything, the way he his reactions is to. I mean, this is absolute perfection. I just can't imagine this role to have been played any better than the way he did it. I was just right. blown away. He didn't overplay it because some people probably would have overdone it. No, he it was yeah. perfect. Yes, they were afraid that he was going to overplay it, oh. but he did because they thought, "Oh, he'll get too hammy." He didn't. No, he no. did not. He was just absolutely so convincing, utterly convincing and realistic in yeah. this role. Um, I just want to quickly touch on a few things. Uh, Jaime Sanchez, who played Jesus, um, I mean, this guy should have been nominated for best supporting. Um, I saw this guys on TCM. I had saved it. Georgia, where did you see it at? I saved it from TCM the same okay. way you do, but you can also watch it on Hulu for free. Oh, cool, um, cool. Yeah, I did. I saved it from TCM. Okay. And, uh, yeah, we, and, you know, another person in this movie that you'll probably recognize is Brock Peters. Absolutely. He was in Kill a Mockingbird. He played Tom Robinson. Totally. He was the, he was, you know, such, what a turnabout role. How yes. different. Yes. Totally different portrayals these characters were i was just so shocked because i thought this is the same man <laughs> right what a great contrasting role for him and i've seen him play villains in other movies he's a great villain well you know another person that i thought was kind of interesting was geraldine fitzgerald because oh yes she had played previously these more glamorous roles right in this movie she's kind of like a middle-aged frump mm -hmm. is the best way i can describe her and so i thought her, her her role was rather interesting too and the way i don't want to give away the scene but the scene i remember 20 years later out of all of the this fabulous just wonderful dramatic movie was <clears throat> when he oh i don't want to give it away but there's a moment uh and i i, I don't want to say because I, I if i say where the scene took place there's a scene between him and her where she gives him an opportunity to liberate himself from this self-imposed cage. This man had opportunity and opportunity to, to love and forgive. Some people, they don't have anybody. They are utterly alone. And in in a, the community I work with, they either don't know who their family is or their family, they can't have access to their family or their family doesn't want anything to do with them. So sometimes they, you you are literally all by yourself. That was not this guy. So he kind of lost some sympathy points with me for that. And he had opportunity after opportunity to become someone else because you have to become someone else. When you experience trauma, yes, you acknowledge it, and, and but you have to move on. You There is no, or you're going to be buried alive like this guy. And um, uh, Raymond St. Jacques, who played Tangi, those of you who are 70s, uh, I'm not going to say it's all, it's all exploitation, but 70s movies where black, black movies, uh, black folks movies became really pr prominent and stuff. Raymond St. Jacques, uh, he was in a lot of stuff, but Cotton Comes to Harlem. We, maybe we should do that one, too. So that's a very familiar face in here um, that we need to acknowledge. And I talked about the Seinfeld connection. So there's a junkie that comes in <laughs> to sell a radio. And that's Rennie Santoni, who would, like, a few years later go on to be in the Clint Eastwood movie, 
was it one of the Dirty Harrys? Y'all guys let me know. And I should have looked it up. Um, but he plays, uh, it is a Dirty Harry movie. Might be the first one. Uh, what's the first one? Enforcer? It might be Enforcer. Love, I'm a Clint Eastwood. Oh, I love him so much. Especially when he was young. Oh my gosh, that was the sexiest man alive. But anyway, um, he was his partner in that. Then he went on to play Poppy in one of the most, one of the funniest Seinfeld episodes, famous Seinfeld episodes. He played Poppy like twice in that. So he's in that. And lastly, from me, Georgia, that soundtrack, I, I told you guys in the Harold and Maude uh, episode, we did a teaser for the pawnbroker. Did you all hear that? That that Because it's Quincy Jones. It's a Quincy Jones joint. Did you hear that music, that famous music, that, those flutes? Where did that come from? Ding, it was ding, from... ding, ding, <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Good saying, Georgia. What, did, what, move, what other movie did that just blow up in? Austin, I was thinking of Austin Powers, the soul bossa nova. That's what uh, I was thinking. Yeah, that's it. Austin Powers. That few little, those few little flutes that, and when, when, uh, 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 the, the Rodriguez, I'm sorry, when, uh, yeah, um, not Rodriguez, when, um, Jesus and his girlfriend were hanging out together. Yeah. Um, they, that music is playing. And I was like, oh my gosh. Cause like when I first heard it, when I first looked at the pawnbroker, cause Austin Powers had already come out. And maybe, maybe that's why the pawnbroker got a little revival from that. I can't really remember. But, and I was like, oh my gosh. That, that, so that happy ass uh, Michael Myers <laughs> being silly in that movie came from this totally different contrast and sad, just almost depressing movie. So kudos to the Austin Powers people who was able to resurrect those flutes for that foolishness. <laughs> So look at that connection. Look at so all things. Look at Georgia. Everything comes from the pawnbroker, obviously. It does. Yeah, I think this was Quincy Jones's very first major movie that he ever scored. Oh wow! And you know, but it was yeah, it was. But the but the this free jazz is very edgy. It's so yes, it's primal. I like it because it's very avant garde and yes. it's like very, but very sixties though. Yes. So yes. And, and, and yes, and you know, when I heard that, I thought, oh my God, I, I was immediately Soul Boston over it. Austin Powers. I love yes. It. Yeah. So look at the movie for the Austin Powers. Oh, really? It's the, like she said, the Soul Boston over. That's what really what it is. But look at this movie all the way, then go look at Austin Powers when they use that. And it's like, oh my gosh. Like I said, kudos to the, to the music people for that. But um, yeah, the pawnbroker. Please check it out. Is yes, it don't, don't be in a good mood when you look at it. Do not look at this in a bad mood. Please be up and look at it and and appreciate um what what those people, what the Jewish community back then and and, and Nazi Germany went what they went through. Um and and then look at your hopefully you haven't had major trauma, but you know we all we all know someone who has it. Try to look at them through that lens and be try to be if you can't empathize, at least try to sympathize. At some point, that is the life lesson, Georgia. Like you said earlier, you have to look at people when they tripping and wilding out. I mean, people just don't come out the womb wilding out. I mean, yeah, people might have a little chemical issues, but I mean, just wild or, or just so morose and and just oh, and you know, try to understand, be understanding. And I'm that's all I got. I could have said it better, Moya, because that was the lesson that I took from this movie, and you said it so well. Thank you. Well, well guys, that's it um, for...
for for us. Our next movie will be a Christmas theme movie. Georgia, what is our next movie? The Man Who Came to Dinner, starring our girl Betty Davis. Yes. Not to be confused with with Who's Coming to Dinner, which is a totally different movie. <laughs> totally different. <laughs> Right. So please don't confuse those because we're telling you right now that's two different movies. So don't get mad with us if uh you be like, hey, what is this? This ain't no doggone uh oh wait, Shaka. Now what you doing, girl? What are you doing? Don't do that yet. <laughs> but yeah, please don't get mad with us if you uh get that two different movies. But anyway, Shaka's trying to run us out the door. So for how Betty Davis saved my life, I'm Moya. And I'm Georgia. And don't forget to look at the pawnbroker starring Rod Steiger and Geraldine Fitzgerald, just a other host of absolutely fabulous um actors. You guys take care. We will see you next time. Okay, now Shaka, now you can sing home, girl.